0: guy here You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on... On Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. That's it. Say goodbye to February. You know, I'm not a big Billy Joel fan, although I have seen him in concert. Say Goodbye to Hollywood is my favorite Billy Joel song, but it's neither here nor there. This is Market Call. It's one o'clock. You just got Dan Nathan and yours truly today. This Market Call, Dan, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, facts at financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Of course, there are data provider as well. Um, A lot going on. We're right around hockey trade deadline Friday. As you know, spring training in full bloom. Looks like Anthony Volpe really wants to make the big squad out of spring training. We'll see how that plays out, Dan. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. You know, Guy, the first album, the first vinyl that I ever had came in 1980. It was Billy Joel Glass Houses. Sure. What, would, what would have been your first vinyl? Uh,
0: I will tell you my first vinyl, I believe, was Led Zeppelin IV. Uh, and I got to think that was like 1973, 74-ish, because, yeah. of course, as you know, Led Zeppelin 4 contained, amongst many songs, uh, Stairway to Heaven. Boston's yeah. first album was also up there as well. Okay, fair enough. It, well, and we're, The we're, Cars, by the way. I mean, we're really. You we see, are. What, once what, what you about, do this, you way know way I'm going down on. a dark, about, dark place.
1: What about your first um, tape, cassette tape that you wow, got? Wow, good one call. Meatloaf was probably,
0: it was an eight track. It was probably bad Out of Hell. Not, uh, not, Street not, Survivors, not. another um, album that I bought. I believe that was 1977 yeah. in October. Obviously, that album was released on October 17th, as many people know. On October 20th of that year, three days later, the plane containing the members of Leonard Skinner and their yes. crew crashed in gillsburg mississippi now i will tell you this is not rehearsed folks so the fact that i was able to pull gillsburg mississippi out of
1: you my you know what is it's remarkable if if we are rehearsing this we got we we gotta we gotta rethink the whole the whole thing mine was synchronicity in 1983 by the police okay uh moving on here um and if you are at all confused by that conversation um then you might kind of fall in the same camp as Guy and I are. When you think about the data guy, the economic data that we've been seeing that actually has been moving the markets around, it's kind of been a little bit confounding. You know, you say this all the time. I've heard you say this for 10 years, that consumer confidence is really an overlay of the S&P 500, right? Well, you saw that consumer confidence data out this morning. It wasn't great. The S&P didn't love it at first, but doesn't seem to be bothered right now by it. Not at all. And
0: when I say that, what I I effectively mean is, and if you give me a second to explain, I've come to the belief that although, and I'm not suggesting everybody owns stocks, and by no means am I suggesting that people watch the market as closely as we do. But I think when I say that the stock market and consumer confidence is sort of an overlay of one another, what I mean is, you know, as long as the stock market does okay and there are no hiccups, uh, people look at that, they say, well, the stock market's doing well. I guess that means the economy is doing well. And my neighbor just bought that Mercedes or Prius or whatever he or she bought, which probably means I know what he or she makes. I can buy the same thing. And that's really what it is. I mean, people sort of go on their merry way. But when there's an episode in the stock market, like we saw, obviously, in 2018 in the fall, while we saw it, obviously, in March, April, May of 2020, that's when people take notice. And that's when people say, wait a second, what's going on here in the stock market? Maybe I shouldn't be buying that car or maybe I shouldn't be buying those Starbucks $8 lattes. And it sounds somewhat preposterous, but I will tell you when people view the stock market as a problem, they start to, uh, address whether or not they should be spending money. So that's why I make the comments that I do.
1: You no, know, and, and I mean, it, it's a fair one, too. Um, you know, right now, I just think there seems to be a whole heck of a lot of uncertainty, um, uh, obviously, about the economy, about the the, the course uh, and how long the Fed is going to stay as tight um, as they will. And we talked about it, I think, earlier on um, or, or the, a few times over the last week, is that, you know, David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research, I mean, he keeps – Kind of pounding the table, and we have a, a little bit of his morning note this morning about just how strong the economy is, mm-hmm. and 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 again what the Fed um, is likely to do to that strength. And so it's just kind of interesting. I, I love this kind con- uh, in the context of the softness in the equity market of late. This bounce attempt was pretty feeble. There were nearly as many decliners as advancers. So he's talking about the breath. Um, here is not particularly great, but this this comment here: construction, manufacturing, and retail alone look to be overemployed mm-hmm. by 2.6 million workers, based on real construction expenditure, industrial production, and retail um, sales. So, to me, you know, he's just basically saying that we need to see that unemployment number tick up. And then you might see the Fed take their foot off the pedal a little bit. And that's the final piece of this economic puzzle. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's just I think Julie Beal on fast money, I think last week alluded to that as well. These construction jobs, how quickly they come and how quickly they can go away. I just want to address something. John Barrett, um, Jacob, pulled this up guy from yesterday. Um, it was Miley Cyrus singing wrecking ball, not Taylor Swift. So clearly, John's not in on a joke. And no. Which is fine. I will tell you folks that I've been making that gag for years now since the song came out. First of all, I don't give a shit who sings the song. I don't know the song from A Hole in the Wall, but I find it funny that I can quote that song and infuriate half the audience thinking that I don't know who sings it. Quite frankly, I don't really care who sings it. Yeah. But back to you, Dan.
1: Yeah, well, and he also the other gag, and I'm doing in quotes here, people, is like when Drew Barrymore's name comes up, he talks about Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something or Star no, Wars. When
0: she, I just say yeah. I love her work in Star Wars yeah, because yeah. it's another shitty movie that everybody raves. Of. Oh, Starlight,
1: I, I love. No, you don't. It's yeah. just it yeah, movie we sucks. Do, All right, here's one from Cameron Dawson. Um, I think this is pretty good. She's at uh, New Edge. She's been on our on the tape podcast. Um, on a couple of occasions this is the russell 1000 growth versus value Mm -hmm. she's saying tweeting this morning the message from this chart be careful confusing mean reversion and trend change big outperformance of growth over value to start 2023 but we've rallied right to resistance the 200 day moving average and stalled uh, though it is notable to see growth hold in so well despite the surge in yields and and you and i have been talking about that a lot i mean we have you know I, I think it was Liz Young tweeted this this morning that um, you know that the ten-year U.S. Treasury yield guide is on the doorstep. She said on the doorstep mm-hmm. um, of four percent, and I really do feel like if it is able to overtake that and then really kind of establish kind of some new ground above 4%, I just think that's the thing that has to start weighing on higher valuation growth stocks. Um, and, and that's why I think this is a really important tweet uh, from Cameron. I guess it does confirm some of my beliefs, but it's also one of those scenarios where um, I think it could be really true, and especially if rates kind of overshoot to the upside.
0: And she's been on overtime a number of times recently, and she talks about valuations being stretched here. And I think she is anything but constructive on the broader market. And I think that chart is interesting. And so is the quote, don't confuse don't confuse mean reversion with the train, change in trend. I mean, that's something that Carter Worth talks about all the time. And I think what we've effectively seen here is mean reversion, but the trend to the downside is absolutely still intact. You know, you look at that chart uh, and you see a series of lower lows and lower highs you see a very well-defined double top and it appears as though we're sort of stalling right at that moving average so i think that's spot on and you know we're not trying to be dogmatic here and just sort of pull negative stuff that we find by the way as you know and i'm going to sort of tease this out uh tom lee a noted bull in the market will be joining us on the on the tape podcast this week drops in your favorite podcast store on friday so for those that say you only surround yourself with like-minded individuals Think again, there, peeps.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's bring up the S and P futures here, the E minis, and I think this is a really kind of interesting chart, guy. I mean, I have um, you know a, a bearish trade in the S and P uh, in 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 uh, in puts, okay, um, in, in March expiration. I also have one in the QQQ, the Nasdaq 100. But if I'm looking at trading the futures here. Um, this one's a kind of interesting setup here, man, like that low that we made, you know, two trading days ago. Look where it, look where it caught that support. OK, mm-hmm. if we're looking at the E-minis here and you don't really need um, it, it's it's not particularly scientific. It was right at that 200 day moving average. You see the 100 day moving average that's sloping higher. You see right here in around 4,000. Okay. That is the 50 days. So you're seeing this kind of cluster of support from the moving averages. You've seen this drawdown from 4,200 down to 4,000. Um, you know, it's still in a bit of an uptrend guy. It's contending with that uptrend line, just from a purely tactical standpoint, when you think about, you know, after this week, we're going to be through 90% of S and 500 earnings. Um, What's got to give here? Is it all about rates? Is it all about a dollar that's firmed up? Is it all about an increasingly kind of murky geopolitical situation, which a year ago this time caused a lot of palpitations in global risk markets?
0: All right. So let's talk about rates first. You mentioned the 10-year. So I think if, in fact, and it just seems a foregone conclusion at this point, but let's say it happens, uh, we get that 4% print in 10-year yields, uh, you can almost see the headlines. You know, 10-year yields, top 4% for the first time. All the different shows will be leading with it. That will be top of mind in the market. And I think just changing big numbers uh, will give people pause or at least something to think about, number one. In terms of what changes the tide here or what sort of uh, triggers this thing to hold and bounce or trade through it, here's as a trade or something, and we'll bring it up quickly. You know what? There's a myriad of different answers. Obviously, I have a bit of a negative bias here, and I think the headwinds are still significant. I think the valuations... Are compellingly uh, expensive here, which means the market should sh- should go down. But if you're ambivalent and if you don't have a view, let this sort of charts make the decision for you. Assuming you think this chart is reasonable, you can stop into a short position with futures. What does that mean? For example, if the S and P closes below, let's or the mini futures close below thirty nine twenty five. Let's say you you stop into a short position you you basically cover that position maybe on the upside if we break through and close above the trend line. And you're looking for a move probably back down to the lows we saw in, I don't know, early Jan, and then subsequently the lows we saw in October. Conversely, if we hold here, you can see, you know what, I'm going to put on a long position. I'm going to stop out on a close below the trend line. And then the upside, I'm going to look to let it run. And maybe we visit the levels we saw in August. So that's the way I would look at this chart. So You understand what I'm looking at in terms of the fundamentals. I think the market's expensive. I think there's significant headwinds out there. These two tens inversion continues to go the wrong way. Ten-year trending up to 4%. Um, Layoffs continuing to happen in a myriad of different industries. They're all out there for everybody to see. But in the meantime, you can say, you know what? I don't really have a view either way. But that's how I'm going to trade it using the parameters that guy just gave me.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess if I'm looking at the you know the the e-minis here at four 000, I'm basically saying, you know what, I'm gonna stop myself if I want to play from the long side at like 3950. That was the low um on Friday afternoon or just below that. And then I'd be looking for a move up to 4150. So I'd be risking 50 to possibly make 150 if that's my targets. And you know, again. Um, you know, to the point you just made. You can use stops there to kind of cut your losses. I think 50 handles on a 4,000 S&P might be kind of um, wide um, right here. So you may want to um, tighten that sort of thing up. You want to take small losses on these sorts of positions. Let's look at the NASDAQ here really quickly, Guy, because, you know, this one, again, is also sitting on its 200-day moving average. It's sitting on that um, uptrend from its January lows. Um, it's a bit... More off of um, its recent highs here was just above 13,000. And here we are, um, you know, that 200 day is um, it's about 12,000 or so. You know, this one is really interesting to me because I'm looking at the market today and I feel like even though Apple and Microsoft and Google, you know, they're all up a little bit, Amazon, they all, they feel a little heavy. I mean, Mm Google has got a little bit of a bounce here and, and I am of the belief that, you know, when and if the market were to turn it, I'll throw Tesla in there on, on the heavy camp. It's down, actually red on the day, which is not something that's done in, 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 a, in a little bit here. I feel like those are going to be the leaders to the downside. And so to me, that's where I'm kind of kind of placing some of my near- term bearish bets. But by the same token, I think we're at a point where it literally is, you know up or down. 200 points in the S&P 500. And it feels a bit like a coin flip unless there's something out there lurking, some sort of tape bomb guy.
0: I think that's exactly right. And I think you're right to point out the, you know, although these stocks are up marginally, they, they're they clearly starting to lag. And the ones that you mentioned, which leads me to believe the only thing probably holding this NASDAQ E-mini is it, to the extent that Tesla is even important is is probably that. So we'll see. We obviously have an event tomorrow. But you know, Microsoft, which had that huge move, post earnings from 233 up to 275, that seems to be headed back to more reasonable price levels. You know, Apple traded off that 125 level pretty violently. That seems to be coming back down to earth. And and it makes sense that it is. And Amazon, quite frankly, hasn't really traded all that well in years. Google, we talk about all the time. So the pieces are in place for this uptrend that you drew to fail. And again, looks eerily similar to the S&P minis. I get it. But No, that's why I'm looking at this. Real quick, uh, Dan, George Bruton says the VIX for May, July, and I didn't see this, but 100,000 calls, 50 to 75 bought by trader, this 50 cent person who I have no idea who he or she is, but he's saying, is that a play on USA default? I have no idea and I didn't see it. Maybe you can speak to it, but I have heard of other uh, people buying way out of the money VIX calls recently. So maybe there are people out there that sort of see the same thing we're seeing.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and again, on the VIX, I mean, if you look at the thing, we see that there's, you know, pretty decent support in in, in that kind of 17 to 18 um, level. And that has obviously been um, a pretty good spot when the VIX has gotten that low to maybe take some profits in stocks and, and vice versa when we see um, – you know, the VIX um, up above, you know, 25 or 30, really above 30, it's been a good time um, to buy. It just feels like we are in a different regime right now mm-hmm. guys, as, as it relates to the markets here. And again, this comes back to yields. We'll just hit this really quickly. You see that we're at, I think we're as high as 395 earlier today in the 10 years. So let's see what happens um, at 4%. Um, and really it comes back to what the Fed's going to do. The CME Watch tool here, you know, if we're looking at the May meeting at this point, I mean, there's the, a very strong likelihood is that we have a five and a quarter upper bound on Fed funds. And um, maybe there's even a 25% chance that we get 50 basis points. I mean, so when you think about those probabilities, what is that saying to you about – where inflation is that whole idea of um people got all geeked up at that last meeting how many times they were counting that uh fed chair Thirteen. yeah 13 times disinflation and this goes back to i think what cameron was saying in her tweet this morning i mean let's not confuse a reversion to the mean right to to a a change in in regime um and we might just still be in that pesky and persistent regime that you have been on For a year, guy.
0: Yeah. Well, we coined that a long time ago, you know, talking about the it wasn't peak, but there were two other words that we used that started with PE, and that was pesky and persistence. That's proven to be correct. So what do I think? Well, Bullard talks about, you know, five and three eighths. He sort of pulled old school out. So five, three, seven, five as the upward bound. A lot of a lot more of these talking heads on the Fed side of thing seem to be coming around to that way of thinking. And Again, you know, Liz Young talks about this all the time as well. You're hard pressed to believe that we're going to have a conversation in the months to come that, hey, guess what, folks? You know, we raised rates at a historic pace, 500 or so basis points, and nothing happened. The market was fine, the economy was fine, unemployment, all those things were fine. We're just going to go on our merry way. Like, I just don't see that happening. I I find it very difficult to grasp that. A lot of people are. I think the bull case is such that. You know, the Fed is navigating this extraordinarily well. Uh, The market has not had any hiccups other than the sell off we saw, obviously, late last year. But with all that said, limited damage so far. And I think people are taking solace in that. With each passing day, I think people think we're closer to the end than we are at the beginning. To your point, though, I think inflation is a lot stickier than people realize. And there are a lot of people that think that, you know, we're trending in the right direction, the Fed using terms like disinflation, but. That last print was pretty hot. And my sense is, as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that inflation is getting back on its horse early here in 2023.
1: Matter of fact, guy, Um, just the dollar we hit it yesterday is kind of firming a little bit. We talked about, you know, just kind of that that 210 spread. I mean, when you put all that stuff together, it does kind of make for, in my opinion, a a bit of a nasty cocktail for Mm -hmm. stocks and for valuations. But let's see. They don't seem, again, I'm just going to keep saying this, um, too bothered um, right here real quickly guy on this crude chart you know you could draw this kind of downtrend however you want here but that little uptrend that it's been in um caught a bit today it's up two percent i know that um it's interesting to see that the major integrateds are down um about one percent or so on a day that crude's up um two percent and then your um Your Henry Hub, you love the Henry Hub. Sure. Uh, Natty Gas, it's approaching um, a little bit of resistance at breakdown level that was, what, three and a quarter or something like that. So it's 275. It's a bit away here, but had a really sharp bounce um, off of the lows. I know you're keeping a close eye on these because if you were to see crude break out and you were to see Nat Gas kind of retake – that level that it broke down from. And maybe on its way, I've seen some kind of bullish reports for Nat Gas saying that maybe you see this sort of spike because of the supply demand um, dynamics and some of the geopolitical stuff and just the kind of dragging out of the war and the ineffective nature of the sanctions, I guess, on Russian oil and gas, um, that maybe you could see uh, another spike here. Thoughts really, really quickly on that guy.
0: Yeah, well, it's no longer a weather thing. So you're not, it, it's not these are not bets on a cold front coming through. Now it's more of a bet to your point about supply demand imbalances and some of the fundamental things that are going on in natural gas. And look, I thought it got way ahead of itself on the downside early in 2023. That proved to be incorrect. But uh, like so many other things, it seems to be getting back on its horse now as well. And I do think I've read the same things that you've read, making a very bullish case for nat gas in the back half of this year. I'll tell you for a lot of industries, the biggest input they have in terms of inflationary items is natural gas. It's a huge input for a lot of the manufacturers out there, so it's something absolutely keep an eye on. And I do think NatGas gas has some room to the upside. We're a couple headlines away from seeing this go from a three handle to a four handle, and we've seen that many times over the years before in terms of natural gas. That's why they call it a widow maker. I'd be playing it from the long side. In terms of crude, yeah, back on its horse a little bit today, but. You know, it's it's been basically sideways between sort of seventy three and a half and eighty one or so in the commodity for a, quite a long time now. I still think the stocks behave pretty reasonably well given the backdrop. And I still think energy is going to be a huge part of this year, specifically over the next few months. I do think the energy stocks will continue to perform. And real quick, Dan, because I think this is interesting. This is a point that Doug Cass makes Um Somebody I know I lost a damn tweet, but they were talking about these daily options, suppressing yeah. volatility uh, is, yeah. and maybe ramping up the broader market each day. You know, I can't. And I'm sorry that I, I can't find who just said it. Maybe you can retweet it or whatever. Ah, there it is. Darren Ristic. Thank you, Darren. Beautiful picture, by the way. Um, clearly, your kids get your looks from uh, your wife. Sorry. But that is something a lot of people are talking about right now. These oh, these single day options. Doug Cass has talked about it a number of times.
1: Yeah. Hey, while we're on Doug Cass, he just um, sent this over. And I thought this was kind of interesting because, guy, you and I just did our fast money call with our producers and Melissa and, and the fellow panelists. And I was talking about, um, you know, some of these large um You know uh uh, pharmaceutical stocks and how poorly they act and carter was on the market call i think about a week ago saying how and he had a note out and we're charting how unusual it was to have the xlv the etf that tracks the large um, you know, pharma companies and also UNH is in there too to be down like eight weeks in a row. And here we are, I think it's down like nine weeks in a row. And, you know, Doug has a note out um, on his real money. And listen, guys, you know, you tune into this because you like hopefully what we have to say. And, and hopefully we're trying to get a diversity of ideas and and, and kind of thoughts in general here. Doug um, does great work and he's literally, he is posting multiple times a day. So check out his stuff. But he has a note out and you can get more information on it in Pfizer, Johnny, John, Lily. And a little spoiler alert, he's calling them value traps here so that's a kind of um an interesting one again because if we're on a risk risk on sort of mode the outperformance the rotation that we saw into this space late last year you know what i mean as we saw some growth names um really kind of just fall out of bed and maybe that was some tax loss selling or whatever but guy how do you feel about the valuations how do you feel about kind of him labeling them as value traps i'm sure each one of these names they all have their own story in their own right but as a kind of you know, as, a, as a, we're looking at the XLV, it's below its 200-day moving average, which I think is really interesting. It's probably one of the first sectors in the S&P 500 last year to overtake it to the upside.
0: Well, it's interesting. If these stocks are going down, which they have been for a you know, decent period of time, it's probably because we're seeing a rotation in other things. And that's exactly what's been going on. And the rotation, obviously, has been into some of these higher valuation, high growth Uh, tech names. NVIDIA stands out, but there have been others as well. In terms of being value traps, I would submit like an Eli Lilly is actually expensive. I think Doug would agree with that as well. It's been expensive for quite some time. All of a sudden, valuation seemingly starting to catch up with it. Merck, reasonable, maybe at the upper end of valuation. UNH, though, you could probably make a compelling case on valuation. And that stock's been until recently a stalwart in the broader market. So the fact that these stocks have been rolling over I think it's something to take notice of. It should theoretically be bullish for the broader market that's somewhat counterintuitive, but if people are rotating out of those names, yeah. they're probably rotating into some of these higher growth,
1: higher valuation names because they feel comfortable about what the broader market is doing. All right, can these guys pull up a Pfizer chart here cuz this one is pretty fascinating. And again, you know, this stock, you know, with the vaccine stuff had some fits and starts, and if you bring it back to kind of um, you know, the start of 2021, it's pretty remarkable you know when you saw um you know the the vaccine announcement the stock was i think around 40 guy it went to 50 pulled back all the way to the low 40s then made a new high above 60 um in early 2022 when the vaccines were and the boosters were like kind of full effect and shipping i mean that that is pretty astounding and then if you look at it on a multi-year basis Um, you know, right back here at Mm -hmm. 40. I mean, it is back where it broke out after that announcement. Is that fair that the stock round tripped that entire move in your opinion?
0: Yeah. Pfizer has its own issues. Clearly, you know, they, their pipeline is probably if you measure them up against some of their competitors, I mean, they're nowhere near where they should be. Um, And it's been sort of mired in uh, well, it's been mired at this range seemingly for years. If you were to broaden that out, you'll see that Pfizer's effectively gone nowhere in a long time and, in my opinion, this is not to pick on Pfizer, and you can see as we continue to broaden out what I'm talking about. But, you know, They sold their consumer products business um, 12, 13 years ago to Johnson & Johnson for about $16 billion, which seemed like a score at the time, and it proved to be a score for j j They diversified away from one of their big profit centers, and it really came back to bite them into you-know-what, Dan, ass that would be. So here, here yeah. we are at the moving average level. I guess it's interesting, but you look at this chart, I mean, Series of lower highs, series of lower lows, you know, they are they are bringing up the rear. They're what we call an after-ran in terms of their competitive landscape with the rest of Big Cap Pharma. All
1: right. Let's look at another sector that's obviously um, been very uh, volatile over the last few years with the pandemic. A lot of weird stuff went on in, in the housing market. And here's Carl Quintanilla. You call him CQ. CQ. Um, he's the man. Um, He's quoting an Apollo report here that has a few charts. It says the housing market is starting to rebound. The risks are rising. that expected strong rollover in the shelter component of this API index may never happen. So talk to me a little bit about this because we were on Fast Money the other night and, you know, like I – I generally like like to keep my 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 two cents out of things that I don't have like really strong feelings about or probably not like a great background in. And housing is is definitely sort of one of them. And and I can't remember whatever I had one I had a one liner to Courtney Downing on there, and and you just you just like just sort of like in the face whatever she said back to me, she just kind of kind of shut me down. Courtney a Garcia, bit. Courtney Garcia, What isn't she Courtney? I, I,
0: I can't speak Courtney intelligently Garcia about her maiden name, but yeah, you know, with that said, okay. so here's and but you know, here's the takeaway from this. This just illustrates what we we're talking about before in terms of pesky and persistent. This tweet makes the Fed's job that much more difficult because they need housing to roll over, it's not happening. And if rents and the components around housing continue to stay firm. It just makes their job that much more difficult. And I encourage you to go back. It's probably late summer, early fall. Jerome Powell was doing one of his press, whatever the hell he was doing, and he fielded a question. And then before he got off the stage or the dais, he said something to the effect that I'm paraphrasing. Oh, by the way, if you're a millennial, I would think twice about buying a house, which really struck me as odd for him to say. But it speaks to exactly that. I mean, housing is a problem for them. The how the rent component, the housing cost component of this whole equation does not go away. And that's going to make their job really effing hard.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, guy, it speaks to this no landing situation where um uh, which is better than a soft landing here. Yeah. Maybe it's their employment never goes means up. why, why you see I was I woke I know, up in such a good mood and in- but maybe they took out a lot of the excess in housing, maybe they took a lot of the excesses out in in some of these other kind of risk markets here. We had a down 20% year in the S&P 500. That was correction for all the ills of of just kind con- bad monetary and fiscal policy over the last Thirteen or so years here, and that's it. We're off to the races. It's a new bull market, and we're it's a new bull market with Fed funds at five percent, guy. Mm-hmm. So get used to it, buddy.
0: Yeah, it could listen. I mean, that's going to be the, what you just outlined, somewhat tongue in cheek, is going to be the bull case for a lot of people. That you know, when this new paradigm, the markets figured it out, we can adjust to these rates. We're not going to have a uh significant move in un- unemployment. That's going to stay probably somewhere between, I don't know, 3.7% and 4.1%, which is still historically on the low end of things. Housing's not going to crash. And we've managed to to sort of navigate this thing and thread the needle. That's fine. And that's a great argument, I guess. I just don't, for the life of me, don't see it happening as we continue to sort of go down this road. I don't think the market has nearly taken into consideration the lag effect um, of raising rates the way we have over the last year and a half. As a matter of fact, Julian came on last night and sort of echoed a lot of things I was saying. The reason why is because there was so much stimulus money sloshing through the system. That seems to be coming to an end. And I think we're at the precipice of starting to feel the effect and the impact of a rising rate environment. And and I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty.
1: Yeah, well, the stock market again, this is gonna be the third time I say this, does not appear to be too bothered by all guy. It just doesn't. Um, yeah, you know, listen, and you know, I'll just say this. I mean You and I, you know, we're not here just to kind of bet against the market or bet against individual stocks or whatever. And I think that last year, you know, we kind of kept re-upping that stance because it felt like the right thing to do. And this year, just really from a price perspective, we're two months in here. And, you know, again, it was it seemed like you could have thrown a dart in late December at anything on your main fact set board. And you could have made 20, 30 percent. Right. If you bought the stock in which that dart hit. I think it gets a lot harder from here, you know what I mean? Especially when you consider the fact that, okay, we just got through the bulk of Q4 earnings here, and let's say for the most part, it wasn't nearly as bad as people expected. We've been quoting John Butter's work um, on earnings insight from FactSet, how the numbers have been coming down all quarter, right? And we also know that um, analysts and strategists generally overestimate you know, one year out um, earnings for S&P 500 companies in their totality by nearly 8% or so. So they're going to continue to come down, especially as you have higher rates, higher dollar and higher inflationary reads that are just going to start picking up a little bit from where they kind of ended last year. So all that gets tougher. But again, and this is going to get you triggered right before we get out of here, you know, markets, and this is what people say to us, if we're just going to be stubborn here, they climb walls mm-hmm. of worry. And that seems to be what they're doing. If they were to rally back to 4,200 guy in the next few weeks or so, they'd clearly be doing that in the S&P 500. But when you look at that chart of the E-minis here at 4,000, right, at kind of critical support, the uptrend of the 200-day moving average. I mean, literally, it's 200 points away from the high it made earlier this month and it's 200 points away to the downside of the low right before um you know it took off in early january
0: yeah and you know you make the points you make are tremendous the markets I, and i've never used that term and i'm not going to start now but die. you know markets typically do sort of do grind higher in the absence of news or any catalyst they're going to do the grind and that's what we're seeing now rainy says uh, end of the month markup there there's probably some of that going on as well as we mentioned at the top of the show this is the last day of the month so got a lot of interesting things going on but the reality of the situation um, continues. Earnings are coming down, and the market's expensive historically on valuation at these levels with rates where they are. And that's really what it comes down to forgetting about all the geopolitical headline and risks that are out there that we didn't discuss today, but we've discussed before. I mean, there's a myriad of things to be concerned about. But to your point, on days like today, you know when the market seemingly has reason to go lower and starts to grind higher, it's just one of those, if you're in the bear camp, it's one of those frustrating days that you just tolerate and move on from.
1: Well, I'm tolerating, guy. I'm tolerating. Um, all right, listen, that was a lot of fun. Thanks to um, our fine sponsor, CME Group. We love those guys. Where where risk meets what? Look at you. Where risk meets what? Where risk meets opportunity. Sort of they meet. The,
0: it's the Laird Hamilton. You know, he checks out the wave and then he right. rides the wave. His no, risk wait, is meeting
1: the opportunity. You know where I love? I love uh, CME days because when I started the business in 1997, I probably told this story before. One of the jobs I had in the trading desk that I sat on is that I had to have a phone on my shoulder, basically quoting the S and P 500 futures to the guy that I worked for. All day long. I mean, all day long. And we had our broker in the pits at the CME, and we actually went down there and traded one day. From there, it was a total disaster because uh, at the end of the day, I think you do need your set machine in front of you when you're trading and you're using the sort of inputs that we were using. Um, but to me, it always brings back good memories, and I loved uh, trading the futures then, and I still like trading them now, and I like talking about using stops. You actually used. Uh, you used a great scenario where stops make a whole heck of a lot of sense, especially when you're trading index options and especially if you're doing an intraday guy or index. I love it. We
0: watched trading play last hour of trading places on Saturday night at like 11 o'clock because why not? It's why one not? of the great movies. They filmed that scene on the exchange on a Saturday and all those traders you see are actual traders from the Comex and the NYMEX back in the day. I know a lot of those guys and gals. But that's it. As Dan mentioned, thank you, CME group, where risk in fact meets opportunity. Obviously, fact set for being our data provider. Dan is back tomorrow with yeah. the great Carter Braxton Worth. I will be in Parts Unknown, otherwise known as Naples, Florida, for the day. But I'll be back on Thursday with Dan and EY from SoFi. And we're going to a hockey game Thursday. It's a busy week.
1: We got a lot going on, buddy. And we got Tom Lee. He's going to be on our podcast on Thursday. It's on the tape podcast wherever you find your podcast it's going to drop friday morning so check it out and also guys um if you're on here and you've not subscribed to our youtube channel
0: what how is that they, possible you, you can
1: just watch it well they should just like there, just you know? like pound the subscribe button well smash it pound it do whatever it is that you do to subscribe buttons and we'll see you tomorrow guy have a nice day and sunny fla tomorrow see you later, later folks